0: Yes, generous God, how great is your loving kindness towards us. You give us every good gift. And Lord, we pray that these gifts that we have given back to you now, and indeed through the week, that they might be used by you. The men and women, boys and girls in Nottingham, in all nations, and in the next generation might come to know your loving kindness. Most of all, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness to us in your Son, Christ Jesus, that you would give him that we might know you. By your Spirit, would you be with us now as we come to your word and turn our eyes, turn our hearts, turn our lives towards Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, please do uh, take a seat and uh, please keep your Bibles open at Ruth chapter 2. Well, I wonder if you've come across Prime Video X-Ray. If you ever watch anything on Amazon Prime, uh, then it's a feature that gives you uh, all sorts of information about the actors, the characters, the soundtrack, even deleted scenes of the film or series that you're watching. If you recognise someone, then you can see what else they've been in. If you've lost track of of just who a character is, well, then X-Ray will fill you in with a full bio. Just occasionally, though, X-ray goes a little too far. I came across uh, this example online. I've never seen the film World War Z, uh, but from this X-ray comment on the opening credits, I've got a pretty good idea how it turns out. It says, general trivia. Originally, the film had a different ending. The plane lands in Moscow rather than crashing in Wales. Well, the book of Ruth isn't equipped with Prime Video X-Ray. But if it was, uh, well, there'd be plenty to read on screen as we begin chapter 2. At the end of last week, following the the disastrous and tragic move to Moab, you may remember that the Lord had brought Naomi back, brought her back to Bethlehem. And he had brought with her her daughter-in-law, Ruth, Then at the start of chapter 2, we read this, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, if we paused at that point, I wonder what X-ray would have to say. Boaz. And what else has he been in? Well,. Ruth chapters 3 and 4 for a start, Uh, but actually that's the point. You see, you'd be hard-pressed to write anything here that wasn't a spoiler, because this man is going to take on great significance in this story. He will, will become one of the main characters, and we don't necessarily know why at the moment, but the author of this book wants us to take note of Boaz. We're supposed to keep our eye on him. We're supposed to see that this new character will be significant. But of course, Ruth hasn't heard the narrator introduce him. She's not read his x-ray entry. No, she was living this out in real time. To Ruth, as we saw last week, events just keep happening. Things keep just turning out. And at the start of chapter 2, there's so much language that shows us just how accidental this must all have seemed at the time. You see, Naomi and Ruth are are back in Bethlehem now, and we pick up the story as they hatch a plan. But to be honest, it's not a particularly well thought through plan. Let's look again at verse 2. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Ruth's going to collect leftover grain. It's not a bad idea, but where would she go? Well, <laughs> nowhere in particular. She'll just see what she can find. And then in verse 3, well, well, then it really does seem that she just wandered into the first field she came across. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. But read on. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. And so uh, this half-baked plan, this seemingly random decision, well, it suddenly brings Ruth into the realm of a man called Boaz. You'll remember him. We've been told to keep an eye out for him. But then it gets even better, verse 4. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. You see, Ruth hadn't gone into just any old field. It was Boaz's field. And she'd not gone on just any old day. It was the day Boaz came to see how the harvest was going. Why is this important? Well, well, I think because this is not just good storytelling, it's good theology. This split screen, this dual perspective is such a helpful feature for us because it mirrors our own experience of God's providence. At the time, as, as we progress through life, events and experiences seem unplanned, spur of the moment, almost random, but looking back, well, looking back, things suddenly become clear. We begin to see how it is that, that all of those coincidences, all of those seemingly chance encounters, well, the Lord has been working through all of them, bringing them about and through them weaving his purposes together, working out his plan. Very, very rarely in our lives do we get real-life x-ray to read. Very rarely do we hear the the helpful voice of a narrator saying, now this person you're about to meet will be very significant in the Lord's plans for you. And yet you can imagine, can't you, Ruth and Naomi talking together about this when when it was all over, when we get to the end of chapter 4. Do you remember, Ruth, that that day you met Boaz? Boaz. Oh yes. I'd just wandered into any old field. But it turned out to be his. And he happened to be there that day. Little did we know then. And I think that's important as we read through the rest of this story over the next couple of weeks. It's important that we remember that this isn't Ruth's or or Naomi's plan. Their plan was to gather a bit of leftover grain. And neither is it Boaz's plan. His plan was to check in on his workers. None of them could have predicted how things would turn out. None of them had heard the voice of the narrator. And so neither should we expect to. X-ray doesn't exist in real life. We don't get the privilege of of seeing the end from the beginning. That's God's job. Ours is to trust in him, to trust in his goodness. Through the trials of, of Moab and the harvest of Bethlehem, we must trust that our sovereign God is working his purposes out. In the words of Sinclair Ferguson, Ruth and Naomi and Boaz may know that God is sovereign, but they have no idea how he will demonstrate his sovereignty. That is the position we ordinarily occupy in our own lives. And so as she set out that day, Ruth did not know what was to come. But as the day wore on, well, she would come to understand what it meant to live in covenant relationship with the God of Israel. She would come to know the the reality of sheltering under his wings of grace. So let's see how that grace began to work itself out in Ruth's life. And the first thing we should notice is that Ruth begins to see grace, the grace of God, In his laws. Now that might surprise you because our society tends to portray laws in general and and particularly the law of God as restrictive, designed to temper our enjoyment, to clamp down on our freedoms. But the truth is that the Lord our God exercises his supreme authority for our good to bring us to him and to help us to enjoy life to the full under his rule. The laws of the Lord are an expression of the very character of God. And as such, they are saturated with grace, shot through with his loving kindness that he longs to demonstrate to all mankind. The practice of of collecting up leftover grain would have been well known at the time. And gleaning, as it was called, was a central part of the Lord's provision for the poor and vulnerable in ancient Israel. It was, if you like, the food bank of the day. In the promised land of the Lord, no one was to be without food. The practice was laid out in Leviticus 19, and it was typical of the laws surrounding the poor and the vulnerable. Time and time again, the Lord commands care and provision for those who found themselves destitute. Ruth would discover as she got to know her God and his people better, that he had so structured and and directed the society that ancient Israel was to build, that people like Ruth, those who would normally have fallen by the wayside, people like that were picked up. They were fed, they were protected, and they were given value. Not because they'd earned it, for none have, but because God, in his grace, had made them in his image, and so they were valuable to him. The very laws of ancient Israel showed Ruth the grace of her God. But then, grace upon grace, she finds herself in Boaz's field. And Boaz is a man who not only knows the grace-filled law of the Lord, but recognizes the character behind that law. Boaz's foreman reports Ruth's request. Verse 7. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Well, the overseer had had already granted Ruth's request to glean. Uh, That's what the law required him to do. But then Boaz went further. Don't go anywhere else, he says. I'll make sure you're safe and provided for here. Here is a man who who recognizes the gracious, generous, caring personality behind the gleaning law. Boaz didn't seek to give Ruth as little as he could get away with. Rather, he saw that the Lord had set a principle whereby those who have, which Boaz certainly does, were to take pleasure in providing for those who do not have gracious law of the gracious God was designed to develop a gracious people who were themselves quick to bless others. And Ruth's response, too, shows a a character that points others towards God. Verse 10, At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favour in your eyes? that you notice me, a foreigner. It's incredible that that these verses that really revolve around the enacting of one small part of the law of God. In these verses, neither, neither Ruth nor Boaz displays any concern for their own rights. See, Ruth didn't need to ask for permission to glean. She was entitled to do that. And yet she did ask. Boaz didn't need to make any special provision for Ruth. And yet he ensured that she would be safe and invited her to stay in his fields. And Leviticus 19 specifically says that a foreigner could glean. But Ruth's response is is not an exasperated, oh, finally, my rights have been recognized. No, rather, she shows a humble realization that Boaz did not need to be so generous. A realization that, that his grace mirrored that of his God. You see, God delights to bless his people. And at times that will mean that, that we find ourselves surrounded by plenty. Enjoying his rich provision. Maybe as Christmas approaches this year, you are conscious of, of just how abundantly the Lord has blessed you. The riches that he has in his grace bestowed upon you and, and your family. And friends, in, in times like that, our call is to be generous. Not because we have to be. Not simply because we're commanded to be. But because like Boaz, we long to be, because our hearts, like Boaz's heart, have been softened to reflect the heart of our generous, giving creator. Next week, we'll be launching our Christmas appeal here at Cornerstone. And if you're rejoicing in the Lord's provision for you right now, then let me urge you to give generously to that, so that we might display the gracious, Bountiful provision of our faithful God, just as Boaz did to, to Ruth and to Naomi. But there may, of course, also be times when we have little, when we find ourselves dependent on the generosity of others. Maybe that's where you are today. And in those times, our call is to humbly and gratefully receive. Not to proudly demand our dues or reluctantly, indignantly accept the help that the Lord has given through his people. But rather to recognize that we deserve nothing. And yet God, in his loving provision, has given us much. The economy of grace knows nothing of, of rights and entitlement but rather depends on generous gifts, freely given and gratefully received. But at this point, uh, we must pause, because the next few verses have the potential to, to throw us into confusion. <laughs> Look down with me from verse 11. And as we do, remember that, that Boaz has just, uh, Ruth has just asked Boaz why he is treating her so kindly. Verse 11, Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. Hold on. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. How does that fit with an economy of grace? It seems, doesn't it, that that Boaz is suggesting a very straightforward equation here. Ruth has been good to her mother-in-law. She's gone out of her way to care for her. And so now, well, now it's time for God to pay her back. She has, after all, earned a a decent portion of blessing. How do we square these verses with with the Christian gospel of grace? Surely Boaz has got it wrong. Well, friends, not so fast, because Boaz hasn't finished yet. Let's read again from verse 12, and and this time we'll let him finish his sentence. May the Lord repay you, he says, for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see, it's crucial here that we recognize what it actually is that Ruth has done. What it is that Boaz says she should be rewarded for. She has come to shelter under the wings of the God of Israel. In other words, she's become a follower of Yahweh. And in that position, with that status, she can rightly expect to be blessed. Because the God of ancient Israel, the God of Boaz and of Ruth, is a God who blesses his children. You know, this image of of sheltering under God's wings, it is well known in Scripture. It occurs numerous times through the Psalms. Let's take a look, for example, at Psalm 36, where we read these words. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God! People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast in the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. Do you see? Those who take refuge in the shadow of God's wings are the very same people who feast in abundance in his house and drink from his river of delights. The chick who, who shelters under its mother's wing receives food and warmth and love in return. Not because they are owed wages, but because their very act of sheltering displays the relationship between child and mother. The trust and dependence of the chick is rewarded with the loving kindness and provision of the mother. And all through Scripture, God's special blessing is reserved for his people. Yes, there are the the so-called common graces of God, those things which he in his goodness gives to all his creatures, regardless of whether they acknowledge him as Lord. Breath, and life, food and loving relationships and a beautiful creation to enjoy. But there is no question that those who put their trust in the Lord, those who come to him in repentance and faith, Those who experience his blessings as believers, as members of his family, experience the blessings of God in a fundamentally richer way. Because that act of of turning to the Lord, of flinging ourselves on his salvation, that act does indeed lead to rich reward. And so for those of us here who are trusting in Christ and who through him rest like sheltering chicks under the wings of our God, we will experience his abundant provision and care and loving kindness, without a doubt. And for most of us here, that that will, to some extent, find material expression in the here and now. If you're in this room right now, then the chances are that you have access to food and to shelter, to warmth and to safety. And I can tell you for sure that if you are sitting here, then you are surrounded by people who want to show you the love and care and encouragement and support that they have found in God and his people. But you know, even if there were no physical manifestation to alert us to God's goodness and kindness, even if we were, were unable to see any material blessing in our lives today, well, those who shelter under his wings would still know incredible blessing. Because to take refuge there, in his shadow, is to know him, to know God himself. John Calvin, the 16th century theologian, puts it like this. He says, God not only pours upon us the abundance of his kindness, but offers himself to us that we may enjoy him. You see, what Ruth was learning in all of this was that the God of ancient Israel, now her God, wasn't only interested in keeping her alive, Rather, he wanted to show her what it is to know him, to shelter under his wings, and to enjoy a right relationship with him, a God who graciously loves to bless his children. You see, the blessings of our great God go way beyond the material and the temporal. If all we hope for from the Lord is a a steady income, a a healthy body and a loving family, well then, friends, we are setting our sights too low. Our God's grace is abundant. It is lavish. It is is overflowing. And the final verses of our passage today give us a a beautiful picture of that. God doesn't just provide for, for Ruth and Naomi. Through Boaz, he showers blessing upon blessing over them. Let's read from verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. Sharing food is powerfully symbolic in Scripture. By inviting Ruth to his table, Boaz was conferring on her significant status. Here she was, a foreign convert, living away from home with no means of income, no social standing, reliant on the generosity of people like Boaz. And yet he shared bread with her and included her among his people. What a wonderful picture of, of the grace of God. We, all of us, are outsiders in the family of God of no standing before him, deserving of nothing. And yet he invites us to join him, to feast at his table. This is what Ruth begins now to experience in Boaz's kindness. He goes so far beyond what is required of him. She is to gather not only leftovers, but from amongst the sheaves. She is to receive directly from Boaz's harvest not just what was left around the edges. We read in verse 21 that he intended to go on providing for Ruth right through the harvest. The abundance of his provision for her is clear from verses 17 and 18. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. You'll see from your your footnote that an ephah was about 13 kilograms, nearly 30 pounds. It's an astonishing amount to gather from one day's gleaning. And friends, to help you visualize that, um, I've done a bit of maths this week. And I've worked out that from an ether of barley, you could make roughly 693 <laughs> Um I mean, technically, of course, they'd be barley bics, but um, we won't let that worry us. Um, 693. There we go. Whoops. Sorry, I'll hoover that up later. Anyway, 693. And so it's almost comical, isn't it? You can imagine, as Ruth returns home that day, as she had left the house that morning, the cupboards were bare. Naomi had been commenting on on how she'd come back to Bethlehem empty. Remembering only, only sadness and pain. Now, at the end of the same day, well, well, now Ruth staggers in, bearing a huge weight of blessing. I think they could have used it for other things as well, so there's a bit more, bit more variety than just barley bicks. But this is abundant kindness. There could be no clearer picture that the Lord had indeed brought Naomi back. And in verse 20, well, I think we begin to see that Naomi recognises this too. She declares, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And you know, I don't think there that she can be speaking of Boaz, because that wouldn't make sense. He's only just started blessing the two of them. Naomi means The Lord, the Lord has not stopped showing his kindness. What Naomi recognizes, as as she seems to have done all the way through, is that it is the Lord who was behind all of this. It was no accident that Ruth ended up in Boaz's field. It was no accident that, that he should come by that day. The Lord was at work. perhaps most amazing of all, and Naomi says that he has never stopped showing his kindness. You wonder, is she here beginning to reflect on her time in Moab? On the pain and, and suffering and anguish of losing her husband and sons? And is she beginning to see that even in that, even in that, the Lord was at work? He was bringing about an incredible kindness. Not only for Naomi, but for Ruth, and as we shall see, for countless others who would come to take refuge under his wings. Because you see, centuries later, in those same fields around Bethlehem, God would once again bring abundant blessing on his people. To those on whom his favor rests. You see, as Jesus Christ was born, so the wings of God were stretched wide to gather many in. Who are we that we should find favor in his eyes? Dear friends, if we are in Christ Jesus, then we are those on whom God's favour rests. Those who may know his abundant provision, his astonishing kindness, his bountiful grace. In the here and now, and for all eternity. So friends, come this Advent, and shelter under his wings. Let's pray. Almighty God, kind and generous Heavenly Father, we thank you for your loving kindness. Lord, we thank you for all those daily graces that we so often take for granted for food and shelter, for friendship and family, for our very lives. But Lord, we thank you most of all for your abundant kindness to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, that by him we might know not only your gifts, but we might know you. Lord, help us this Advent to rejoice not only in what you give us, but in who you are. And lead us to be a generous people. The generous people of our generous God that we might call many to find shelter under your wings of grace.